Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every week at 12 noon Saturday to defend and promote public education. That is education that is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It is publicly accessible to all children, teachers and other employees, regardless of any background they may have, whether that would be religious or bank balance or political uh, inclinations, those are all irrelevant when it comes to enrolling and employing in a proper public education system. In other words, there's no discrimination. Our public schools should all be publicly owned and controlled And they are the only ones that should be publicly funded because, of course, they are the only ones that are publicly accountable. And if we had genuine democratic governments in this country, then they would provide a first-class education system for all our children. We have a website at www.adogs.info and this week we will be putting up press release 692. Yes, 692. We've been very busy over the years. And what is this press release? The Catholic Church is a law unto itself. Those are not my words. The Catholic Church is a law unto itself. But why does a democracy like Australia fund the educational institutions of this state within a state. When Inglis Clark inserted what is now Section 116 into his 1891 draft of the Australian Constitution, he argued that the Catholic Church was an imperium in imperio, which is the Latin for a state within a state. Nothing has changed because fundamentally hierarchical theocracies do not change. The power of the Catholic Church has been its unchanging structure since the fading days of the Roman Empire. So, those who have done their European and Australian history, and most particularly those who've been involved in dealing with the Catholic hierarchy, in the infamous 1981 Dogs case, and if you want to find out more of that, you can find it out on our um, website, and we've shown you how to get there. Those of us who were involved in the dog's case 
were not at all surprised in the last week when the Catholic Archbishop of Brisbane, Mark Coleridge, told the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse that there was a lack of transparency within the church. We are, as it were, a law and a world unto ourselves, he said. Dogs and Save Our Schools and the Victorian Auditor General discovered this when they analysed what happened to public monies given to needy schools, to needy Catholic schools. The Victorian Catholic Education Office got the money, but that doesn't mean to say that they did what they were supposed to do with it. They were a law unto themselves because the funds have rarely trickled down to any any disadvantaged destination. The facts, figures and ongoing hypocrisy of the Catholic institutions are mind-boggling and the survivors who have dragged their realities into the light of the Commission's scrutiny are to be congratulated for their persistence and courage. The Commission's research found that there had been, and here's some quite startling figures, 4,444 alleged victims of child sexual abuse within Catholic institutions over the past 35 years and 1,880 alleged offenders. It found that overall 7% of priests in that church in Australia were alleged perpetrators. The church said something like 2%. But in fact, in Australia, it has been 7%. Peter Johnston, the president of Catholics for Renewal and a former senior public servant, told the inquiry that the real numbers could be higher. The statistics, he said, are quite conservative, given that they're based on those who have come forward. And Patrick Parkinson, a professor of law at the University of Sydney, told the Commission there may have been a culture of facilitation in male religious orders which explained the high proportion of alleged perpetrators in orders such as St John of God, the Christian Brothers and the Marist Brothers. I always find it amusing, listeners, when I go past Parade College of Bandura, which has magnificent resources, to read on their notice board, not that they are run by the Christian brothers, but that they are a school in the Edmund Rice tradition. Edmund Rice being the man, of course, who started the Christian brothers. I find I just find it very interesting because... The term Christian Brothers is a little bit uh, questionable these days, isn't it? So Patrick Parkinson, talking about this culture of facilitation, feels that that gave people permission, he suspects, to continue offending. Well, these people were protected by the church for decades, maybe for centuries because there's no evidence that the Catholic Church has ever or ever could or would change. For example, dogs experienced constant dissembling from religious men in their high court case, and it wasn't just the, um, the Catholic uh, 
religious. The only man in our court case who was prepared to state the reality of what was going on in his religious school was a Mr Miller from the Donvale Christian School. He was the only one who was prepared to say, yes, we teach creationism. Yes, we, um, we believe uh, in creationism. Yes, we have religion in our curriculum. And we, it is permeates it. He was the only one who was prepared to say it as it was. Now, as you probably know, dogs uh, opposed and do still oppose state aid because it's bad for the education of the nation's children. It's bad for religious integrity. It's bad for a judicial integrity. And it's bad for a democracy which is transparent and works for the common good of the citizenry. But Australian politicians are now confronted with an institution which never has and never will change. In the current situation, the Holy See has declined a 2014 request from this Royal Commission to release the documents relating to Australian clergy which were accused within the Church of child sexual abuse. And this is what they said. They said it was neither possible nor appropriate to provide the information requested. So what's changed? All the Australian citizenry are offered is talk about changing the culture of the Catholic Church. And what people are now talking about is how much better it would be if there were more women uh, in the structures. And all the Lib Lab politicians have offered us is favouritism to the wealthy religious institutions which they themselves attended. And later in this program, Robert will be telling you about Tanya Plibersek and the Labor Party. Uh, it's not just perhaps Mr Shorten uh, that can be taken to task by Mr Turnbull in question time. Now, dogs say that state aid to religious institutions must stop. And not unsurprisingly, in the light of what has been coming out about the extraordinary funding in which private schools now get more than state schools, the local state schools, many of them, and uh, these sexual abuse cases, not unsurprisingly, the dogs are no longer a voice crying in the wilderness. Now, for years and years, we could get absolutely no oxygen in the mainstream press. The Fairfax media in particular and uh, the Murdoch Press refused to ever put in anything uh, from the dogs. But uh, consider the following letter in response to the hearing of the Royal Commission into the institutional responses to child sexual abuse. This is not written by the dogs. This is written by a lady called Jane Robertson Nichols. And I assume that she's from Sydney because this appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald. She says, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse has brought to light thousands of incidents of sexual abuse of children by people in authority in the Catholic Church. I have been shocked, appalled and saddened by these crimes against children. It seems that many occurred while children were at school, schools managed by the church. 
Now, recently, an Islamic school in Sydney has had its Commonwealth funding withdrawn due to misuse of those funds, and rightly so. Taxpayers should not be expected to support the funding of any institutions that do not abide by the conditions for which funding is granted. In the case of schools, surely this would include a failure to provide due care in loco parentis of children in those schools. One would certainly expect that no child would become a victim of a serious crime while at school. And yet, this is precisely what the Royal Commission has uncovered. Not only were thousands of crimes committed, but the institution receiving the funding has been apparently deliberately covering up these crimes. It's apparent that the hierarchy of the Catholic Church in Australia was aware of many crimes being committed and yet did nothing, or worse, actually punished the victims for speaking up. It is not acceptable to consign these crimes to history, Jane Robinson Nichols says. It is not acceptable to maintain funding to an educational institution that has failed at the most fundamental requirement of being in loco parentis. If the Catholic Church were a business or a government institution, this abject failure would bring about condemnation from government and cessation of funding with no expectation that the institution would ever receive funding again. I believe it would be an appropriate response to withdraw funding from the Catholic Church for delivering education services to Australian children. And listeners, as we found out last week, we'd actually save money if we did this. The money saved could pay for monitoring of non-government schools to ensure that they are capable of delivering high-quality education in an environment where children are safe. So we thought that was a very interesting letter indeed. Uh, I doubt very much whether it would have ever been printed or even any of these crimes would have seen the light of day two decades ago. And I think that we have to thank Julia Gillard whatever people may say about Julia Gillard, she had the intestinal fortitude to actually take on the Catholic Church. She insisted that the Church should give her the information about where the money was going, uh, the public money was going in their schools, and this went up onto the My School website, and she set up this commission of inquiry. And uh, it's a very interesting... uh, situation indeed and dogs say the time has come and it can't come soon enough to take the money away from religious schools so that's enough for me for now you're listening to the dogs program here on 3cr 855 on the am dial and we'll be returning with more news views and reviews of the educational landscape in australia after these messages In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. 
years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You're listening to the Defenders of Government Schools. Um, We come at a time here in this current year where government schools need defending more than ever, not just here in Australia and around the world, and so we'll be investigating that. As Jean quite rightly said, um, Julia Gillard, back in the days when she was the Prime Minister, she was the Prime Minister of Australia, Strange world when Australia had a female Prime Minister. I can't remember. It was so many years ago, but we did. Um, Pre-Trump, all that sort of stuff. But we did. She was was responsible for getting the facts and figures out there so that we, the public, and indeed we, the defenders of government schools, can have a look at what's going on, the sort of financial turpitude that exists within the um, educational landscape of Australia. Um, And we we can thank Julia Gillard, but we can't thank Tanya Plibersek. I just wanted to say that we um, we haven't had that kind of transparency with figures since Mr Fraser was the Minister for Education in the ni- late 1960s. Sorry, Robert. No, no, no there's no need to say sorry at all, Jean, because you're the font of knowledge when it comes to this debate because you've been engaged in this debate for most of your adult life, which has been long and interesting, um, back to the 60s and even the 50s, I think, when it comes to this particular question. But yeah, I mentioned Tanya Plibersek because she's the Federal Shadow Education Minister and um, she's out there scoring very, very cheap political points off the back of Simon Birmingham, the um, Federal Education Minister. Now Simon Birmingham said maybe, just maybe, some of the very wealthy private schools are getting too much money and we should look at that and claw it back. And Tanya Plibersek jumped she went, oh, here, here's, here's a chance to make a political point. And she said, oh, Mr Birmingham, is that what you think? Well, tell us which ones. Tell us which private schools are going to get their money taken away because that way all those people will hate you and will get more votes from all the rich people who send their children to private schools because we're the Labor Party and we love getting votes. We don't care where they come from. Yes, well, from the cheap seats, Tanya, I've got a bit of news for you. Um, you're barking up the wrong tree. Um, the Sydney Morning Herald, along with the Australian National University and some people in the Netherlands, have done a very interesting survey of the Australian population. It's by no means comprehensive, but it is very interesting because when it comes to politics and indeed marketing these days, people like to um, break, peop- break, break up a population into demographics, into groups of easily chunkable people who have similar views on various things um, and, and then market things to them, either political ideas or toothpaste or food or whatever it is. And it used to be the case that even though Australia was supposed to be an egalitarian society, you could divide people up into various groups. You had rich people and poor people. You had white people and you had migrants or you had this or you had that. Um, you know, in Europe you had the class system, the middle class, the wealthy ruling class and, of course, the, the poorer unwashed classes. Well, this new survey of Australia is actually divided up into Australia into seven particular types of demographics, which I won't go into because we're not interested in sort of 
parroting marketing and, and political focus group jargon. But what has happened through this process is that they've asked particular questions. And it's often said if you want to find out where a society is corrupt, you find out what you're not allowed to talk about. Mm. So if, you're, if you go to a society and no one really talks about uh, how buildings get built and permits get, get allocated, if you don't really talk about that, then you just assume that the process is corrupt. So if you have people who don't go around talking about the police and what it is that they do in various situations in, in day-to-day life, then you just make the assumption if no one's talking about it, then that's, that's something that is functionally corrupt. If you wish to function in that society, you just have to deal with that corruption. Different countries, different societies have different things you don't talk about. I mean, many, many cultures indeed have all these different things, but in Australia there's something in particular that this survey has highlighted as the one thing that is the most divisive the one thing you don't talk about in polite society, the one thing you don't talk about at a dinner party, the one thing you don't talk about with people you don't know very well because you could be um, crawling your nest if you do in terms of future interactions. And it's not religion. And it's not politics. The one thing you don't talk about in Australia with people you don't know, the one thing you don't talk about in polite society, the one thing you avoid at a conversation with dinner party with your new neighbours is where you send your children to school. Education, at a very personal level, in Australian society, is one of the central parts of the way our country is corrupt. Um, yeah, we, we can talk about the numbers and all that sort of thing, and we often do. We talk about money being wasted. We talk about anti-discrimination legislation. We talk about the evils of separating our children. Um, from a very young age into religious or, or class-based groups. We can talk about all of that. But it was borne out because where you send your child to school is actually one of the most contested and controversial topics you can bring up in a public debate. And there's several reasons for this. But the age-old education debate is actually the most divisive topic of the 36 statements put to the public by the Fairfax Media's interactive quiz which is what type of Aussie are you? Now, this was run in conjunction with the ANU. This isn't a trivial thing. This isn't something that pops up on, on, on Facebook and said, how smart are you? What's your IQ? No, this is, this is a very interesting survey. And they found that the most contentious thing in Australian society is education. It proved more contentious than our attitudes to asylum seekers, which I think is one of the other things in terms of corruption in, in a general society things you don't bring up in, in polite conversation. It's more contentious than our attitude to climate change. It's more contentious than our attitude to speed cameras or indeed free trade. Um, and, of course, this quiz is actually run by the Australian National University and it was a sample of 2,600 people across Australia. So it is a survey rather than um, anything else, but it is an interesting one. Now, Australians backed, and but just, just by the way, Tanya, listen to this. Australians backed public schools over private schools. So in, in this contentious debate, Australians were more likely to back the benefits of a public school over the benefits of a private school. Now, that's after generations of attacks on the public school system. It was a slim margin. It was by 8.5 percentage points, which is to say that overall, just about 46% of all the people spoken to strongly either strongly disagreed or disagreed with the statement private schools offer a superior education to public schools. So that is almost half. Meanwhile, 
37% of the population either strongly agreed or agreed that private schools were better than public schools, a smaller number. And, of course, in the middle you have all the people who don't have a strong opinion either way. Well, of course, we're the dogs. We have a very strong opinion. They didn't ask us, so we're not one of those outliers in their survey. Now, this split in Australia about what is the best way to school your, ch- school your children with the public school system winning out actually remains fairly consistent. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. And doesn't even matter where you live, the country or the city or Sydney or Melbourne. But there's one glaring exception. One glaring exception where it does matter. And that is Australians earning over $100,000 or more were the only group that backed private schools over public schools. And they did so with a very convincing margin of 16 percentage points. Among high earners in particular, agreement with the statement jumped to over 50%, with disagreement plunging to under 35%. Now, what this means is, Tanya Plibersek, is that all the very rich people in the world agree with you. But there's not that many of them, and they're decreasing in number in Australia as the days and years and decades go by. So if you want to get votes, Tanya... Um, stick with the private school lobby. Don't go around trying to um, butter up affection with the, with the private school lobby, even though they might be indeed controlled by a large number of religious people who, who say they control blocks of votes. Um, I wouldn't go too far down that line if I were you, Tanya Plibersek, because still, even today, the majority of Australians have been shown to support the public school system. Now, we'll be travelling to some interesting news going on in the United States um, after these messages. Hey, are you wearing the latest 3CR t-shirt this summer? We have a limited number of 40th birthday t-shirts for sale. Designed by local artist Emily Floyd, these awesome radical radio t-shirts are available from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. Or you can shop online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. For just $20 or $15 for kids' sizes, you can look great and help 3CR celebrate 40 years of radical radio. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You're listening to the Defenders of Government Schools. Yes, America. they got a new president. I was reading something a little while ago and the best way to combat the problems in America is actually to not mention the name of their president, so I'm not going to now. In fact, I've forgotten what's his name. He's of no particular importance. But what's the going more important thing is who's the vice president, Robert. That's the one I'd be more worried about. Well, yes, and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the vice president because the vice president did something quite extraordinary. It never happened before in the American, in American polity. Um, whenever they have a new president, the new president has a new cabinet, the new cabinet gets sworn in. Um, the president actually has a majority in both houses of the American Parliament, so that is the House of Representatives and the Senate. So basically you've got a new president, he wants to put a cabinet together, um, he controls both houses of the Parliament so he can appoint anyone he likes. So in terms of education in, in America, um, he decided to appoint a woman called Betsy DeVos. Now we've spoken a bit about Betsy DeVos on the Dogs, Dogs program, but Betsy DeVos is an extraordinarily dangerous woman. And it's not because she's extraordinarily clever. <laughs> But she is an extraordinarily dangerous woman, and this is not. This is despite the fact that that she thinks that that children should take guns to school in case bears. Because bears, yeah, that's that. That's why people should have children should have guns when they come to school. Yep, she said that. 
She actually said that. I'm not making that up. Yes, it's just like, hmm. Anyway, Betsy DeVos is now the Education Secretary. She's in the Cabinet. But let's, let's, let's work out, firstly, who's happy, who's unhappy, and how did she get there? Well, the first thing about Betsy DeVos is she's extraordinarily rich. Um, she is independently wealthy. She's a Republican donor as well. She's a Republican Party with almost no experience in public education. Has some experience in terms of privatising public education, but that is her only connection with it. And she was confirmed by the Senate as the nation's education secretary just last Tuesday, just gone. But only with the help of the historic tie-breaking vote of the vice president. Oh, yes, um, I can tell you his name. His name is Mike Pence. And he's a, deeply, he's a person with very deep religious convictions and very strong ideas about not separating religion from the state, which is, as you can probably hear a lot of Americans talking about from time to time, they're going about their constitution. Yeah, in the constitution it says that religion and the state should be separate. Uh, Mike Pence thinks that's a load of hooey. And so indeed does Donald Trump. And he said so at a prayer breakfast. <laughs> I don't think in history there's ever truly been a godly nation that these people want to produce. I think the ancient Byzantines would, would, would disagree with you. I, I, oh, thought, no, 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 I no. thought they thought they had a godly nation. No, 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 no. Certainly not the ancient Israelites. God was always having an argument with them. Well, I'm not going to dig him up and no, ask. I'm, I'm not going to dig him up and ask. I'm, I'm talking no. about what's happening now. Yes. Now, well, I think a, it's just an idea that they've got in their heads and, yeah, God help us. Oh, well, maybe, maybe we can talk about that in a little while. But I would like to point out that this whole Bitsu DeVos thing did not go sweet. She did not go sweetly into that good treasury spot. <laughs> well, not treasury, that, that good cabinet spot. Basically, the vote was tied. Now, there were more Republicans than Democrats on this committee, but several of the Republicans crossed the floor to vote with the Democrats, and the vote was tied. It was an all-night vigil on the Senate floor where one by one Democrats, Democrats denounced Ms. DeVos to a mostly empty chamber, but they did not get a third Republican defection that would have stopped Ms. DeVos. Two Republicans defected to the Democrats to stop the President's appointment of Education Secretary. Now, Ms. DeVos is a billionaire. She spent most of her life devoting to promoting charter schools and voucher systems, not unlike, um, oh, who's that, oh, what's his name, the guy that runs Microsoft? Gates. Yeah, Bill Gates. Oh, he, he loves charter schools and vouchers yeah. too. So, so but There's but, but, a lot of money in insecure middle-class parents. Well, there's a lot of money from, from taxpayers' money if you want to get into yeah. the education trough like they have with yeah. TAFE here in Australia. But anyway... It's actually the first time in American history a vice president has actually been summoned to the Capitol to break a tie on a cabinet nomination. Now, Senator Al Franklin, Democrat from Minnesota, demanded before the vote that Republicans explain how they could, in fact, support Ms. DeVos. He said, if we set aside party loyalty long enough to perform an essential duty of vetting the president's nominees, why are we, what are we even doing here? Now, the two Republicans who crossed the floor and voted against the president's choice, Senator Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa um, Murkowski of Alaska, said Mr. Voss was unqualified because of the lack of familiarity with public schools and with laws meant to protect the students. She, um, uh, Mr. Voss has been up on an interview and had been singularly incompetent, mm. singularly incompetent, not knowing, <laughs> not knowing anything about education. A comment from uh, one of these Republican senators, um, I think it was uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski, she said, I have serious concerns about a nominee to be Secretary of Education 
who has been so involved in one side of the equation, so immersed in the push for vouchers that she may be unaware of what actually is successful within public schools and also what is broken and how to fix it. Um, now, that's interesting. Now, she's from Alaska. Alaska's an entirely rural... Well, not entirely, but it's a very largely rural population, and public schools um, do an extraordinary job um, in the remote and regional areas of Alaska and are perceived... And the senator from Alaska is actually going, well, yes, um, I know this, and so I don't want this to stop. Maine also is a quite rural state. So in the same way as that Mr Piccoli here in New South Wales, being um, a representative of the National Party who's responsible for rural um, situations. In the rural areas, they know the value of public schools. They have, and they will continue to do so, and they don't like people attacking them. And indeed, these two Republican senators in the US fall in line with these sorts of ideas. Now, for many educators, Ms DeVos's support for charter schools and vouchers, which allow students to use taxpayers' dollars to pay tuition fees in private, religious, or for-profit schools, reflects a deep disconnect from public schools. Neither Ms DeVos nor any of her children have ever attended public schools. Most Republicans describe Ms DeVos as committed to what is best for children. In a fiery speech moment before the debate, Senator Lamar Alexander, the Republican of Tennessee and former Education Secretary himself, criticised his Democrat colleagues for opposing Ms DeVos, saying simply, well, because you can't oppose her because she's been nominated by the President. Um... She led the most effective public school reform movement over the last f- few years, he said. Uh, no, public school reform, um, it's not the same thing as privatising the public system, which is what she, in fact, functionally did. Now, the other question um, which comes to Mr Voss's appointment is because she's a very wealthy person and because the vote was tied 50-50 in the Senate and because she was a Republican donor, someone went to find out where the money that she had donated to the Republican Party had gone. And they did a break-up of how much money she has personally given to each of the Republican senators which voted for her appointment. And the answer was she had actually given them in the past, all of them, all of the 51, including Mike Pence, the Vice President, she'd given them all of them, tens of thousands of American dollars because she was indeed a very wealthy woman um, from a very wealthy family who given lots and lots of money to the Republicans um, who had voted her in as Education Secretary. Now, this is a very deeply troubling thing, um, but it seems to be the way America works at the moment. And um, these things in America happen sort of very much more in the open than they do in Australia. So Ms DeVos um, is still not necessarily out of the woods. She's a deeply um, troubling appointment for many people who value public education in the United States. And I think this is the beginning of a public school protest movement, um, very similar to the dogs, which is going to have to rise up in that case, in, in that place in America, if they are indeed to have any public school after the tenure of the current um, president of America. Now, the current president of America has actually done some very other very interesting things before we leave America. Um, and one of them relates very specifically to the separation of religion from the state. Donald Trump is not for the separation of religion from the state because Donald Trump um, is in office because a large number of deeper religious people have put him there. They want a godly nation. Well, President Trump has announced just this week that he will, and I quote, get rid of and totally destroy a 60-year-old rule that blocks tax-exempt religious groups 
from endorsing or opposing political candidates. The so-called Johnson Amendment was introduced by the then-Senator Lyndon B. Johnson in 1954. It threatens churches and other institutions with the loss of their tax-exempt status should they overstep the mark and support or endorse any particular political party. It was actually only putting into, into legislation what was already there in common law. Well, uh, the current President of the United States, one of his first acts in the first two weeks is to get rid of this. And he did it at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he did it on Thursday, just gone. He said, Jefferson asked, Can the liberties of one nation be secure when we have removed a conviction of these liberties that are a gift from God? Among those freedoms is the right to worship according to our own beliefs, and that is why I will get rid of and totally destroy the Johnson Amendment and allow our representatives of faith to speak freely and without fear of retribution, and I will do that, said the President. That's, <laughs> that's the opposite to what, was in, what Jefferson intended. Yes. Just the yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Uh, Yes, black's white and white is black. Indeed, and, and, and the President of the United States also said, freedom of religion is a sacred right, but it is also a right under threat from all around us, and the world is under serious, serious threat in so many different ways. I've never seen it so much and so openly. We're going to straighten it out, said the President. That's what I do. I fix things. It's time we're going to be a little bit tough. So freedom of religion is a sacred right, unless you're from one of the seven countries where it doesn't, it's a sacred right to what? Um, yeah, look, quoting the President of the United States is always a deeply confusing thing to do um, because it's very difficult to know what he means, um, and m mostly it means two things at least at the same time, which means he can then walk back from whatever it is he said because he didn't say anything in the first place. Um, having said all of that... Um, it is his, it is of his obvious intention to um, get as much money as he can from as many religious organisations to support his particular political party and his presidency. At the moment, they are forbidden from doing that. He's going to change that so they can give him more money because the one thing the President of the United States seems to like and worship and want and talk about is money. I wonder how much of his money is involved in Saudi Arabia. And um, well, I mean that, that's a different question, which we're not going to go yeah. into in the no, dogs program. But well, I will, I will note, I will note in a very understated way, um, the uh, president of France commented after having a phone conversation with Donald Trump. Um, he said, and oh, I don't want to misquote yeah. him, but he said, um, the president talks in private on the phone like he talks in public. It is very difficult to understand him and what he means. <laughs> Uh, it is. Uh, there was some agreement, but it is difficult to say. <laughs> uh, so yes, I think the, the president of France and I are both at the same pass, which is to say, I don't know. It's just, it's just all a bit crazy. We'll return with more. Um, oh, probably not, I won't be too worried about the president of the United States. Um, he, he might come in and listen and, and tweet about the dogs. Although I suppose that would be good for us, wouldn't it? Um, but we'll be more. We're talking about education um, after after these messages. I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. 
it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast on the www's. You can um, contact the dogs at our website, which is www.adogs.info. That's adogs, one word, dot info. But not to, to return, not necessarily to the President of the United States, but again to his Education Secretary. So he now has an education secretary called Betsy DeVos, who is deeply anti-public schools. He's only been appointed by one vote, a casting vote of the vice president. Um, There are a number of uh, Republicans who are not happy with her appointment um, in the Senate, but there's not just that. But her nomination as education secretary has actually united liberals, progressive, rural Republicans, and indeed um, the website Breitbart which is a far-right-wing website that don't think Betsy DeVos cuts the mustard either. <laughs> so all these people from very like, incredibly wild and disparate points of view said, what, what's going on, uh, Mr President of the United States? This woman is not appropriate. Breitbart is bad now, isn't it? Yes. Well, he, oh, well it, it, it was his... Well, hmm. He was a website he ran for a number of years and now, of course, he's the, uh, the advisor. Very close to the, to the president. That's right. Uh, so Betsy DeVos is the most controversial cabinet choice. His nomination for the Secretary of Education will actually likely, you know, still not necessarily out of the woods. Now, what distinguishes the resistance to DeVos from the groundswell of opposition to administration's other nominees that it's not just the Liberals and the Democrats who are unhappy? Rather, in addition to the expected progressive outrage um, over DeVos's history of advocating for school vouchers, championing charterisation and at a hearing defending having guns in schools <laughs> because because bears. <laughs> uh, there are important conservatives that are resisting this process too. On both the now powerful Breitbart flank of the movement and among moderates as well. Republicans have come out against President Trump's choice, more than you would expect given the fifty grand you know, the fifty Republican senators who appear likely they'll vote for him. All of this says something about the Republican Party, where some members are bucking the president just three weeks into his term, and about the debates over reforming education that will take place in the next four years of his term. In 2017, right now in America, there is no conservative unity on education policy. Now, to understand this, it's important to note that the 1990s charter school movement, which we've spoken about here on the Dogs Programme a lot charter school movement in America that seemed to sweep America didn't quite actually reach all of the states. Rather, a handful, mostly in the Great Plains and Appalachia, held out against charter schools. Now those states, Montana, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, Kentucky, West Virginia and Vermont, have one thing in common. Compared with the rest of America, they have very have many fewer people living in cities. And they voted for Trump, didn't they? They did. They voted for Trump. Sorry, the current president. What's his name again? Anyway, they voted for the current president, but that doesn't mean they want charter schools. Now, that feature is not coincidentally shared by Maine and Alaska, um, which which are the two states which are representing. Actually, I I disagree. Um, They are shared by those two states. 
and not, coincidentally, by other senators' states, and the charter school movement was slow to take seed. In Maine, in that state where the, where the, where the senator voted against, there are seven charter schools in operation. In Alaska, there's 29. Now, here's what this adds up to. In some of the most Republican, the reddest states, they call them, in the Union, where in most cases Republicans control both houses of the legislature locally, conservatives haven't brought the school choice doctrine that DeVos is selling. They're still largely reliant on traditional public schools. Now, the two defecting Republican senators, who will obviously incur the enmity of the new president, and um, who's actually not known for forgiveness, um, and they realise this. And this is why, in her press statement last week, um, the, the Senator um, Murkowski from Alaska singled out school choice in explaining why she will be trying to vote DeVos down. She says, I have serious concerns about the nominee to be Secretary of Education who has been so involved in just one side of the equation, not the other, so immersed in the push for vouchers that she may be unaware of what is actually successful in public schools. Um, Collins, the um, Senator from Maine, was less focused. And speaking on the Senate floor this time last week, she said um, of Mr Voss, concentration of charter schools and vouchers raised the question of whether or not she fully appreciates that the Secretary of Education's primary focus must be on helping states and communities, parents and teachers, school board members and administrators strengthen our public schools. She concluded, I will not and I cannot vote to confirm her as our nation's next education secretary. Now, this sounds like words of a blue state Democrat or a union boss or the dogs. <laughs> but, but they come from one senator whose state voted for the, the current president over Hillary Clinton, 58 to 38. You know, very red state. And another who the state, um, the Republicans control the entire legislature and they've got a Republican governor. Though most rural Republican moderates in the Senate will vote DeVos through today and their home states are divided on what she will do. Now, in their opinion, the Republican moderates actually have unlikely company. If the election of um, the current president and the presence of his advisor, Steve Bannon, in Trump's inner circle has proved anything, it's that the far-right fringe of the Republican Party um, now wields a lot of clout. In DeVos they don't like what they see. Some members of this constituency, which include states' rights activists, nationalists, small government conservatives, not to mention the outright racists and xenophobes, <laughs> who voted for, for, a, for the administration of the current president in the hope that, that would bring an end to the Common Core curriculum, the favourite education policy bet noir of the far right. See, common core means you can't go around teaching creationism unless you unless you have to you have to get around stuff to do that. But that isn't on Betsy DeVos's radar. She probably doesn't know what common core is. <laughs> Coupled with the DeVos's pledge to keep the and implementing the requirements of every student succeeds act, the bipartisan successor of the Bush administration's No Child Left Behind Act, that cleared Congress in twenty fifteen, conservative activists see the president's choice as an abject portrayal. And, like, to quote, despite the president's lambasting of Jeb Book's education policies, the list of staffers look more like the choices that would be made under Jeb Bush. And this was written by Aaron Tuttle of Hoosers against Common Core last month, citing a Politico story pointing out the number of former Jeb, Jeb Bush staffers, staffers hired by the new administration. 
On Breitbart website, far-right stuff, which is now seemingly mainstream in America, Susan Berry wrote, um, and she's been driving the same argument home. She said, DeVos won't put the needs of the students and their parents' decisions for their education first, she declared. Now, let's just remember, in America, this is the third week of the presidency just gone, <laughs> with Republicans in control of the House and the Senate, and in Betsy DeVos, the new the new president succeeded in actually choosing an education secretary who unites pretty much everyone in disdain. Rural Republicans, far-right Republicans, and indeed the entire Democratic Party, and everyone to the left of that. Um, the president, um, I have to say, that's quite an achievement. Yes, we'll be returning with some more education policy stuff again after these messages on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You're listening to the Defenders of Government Schools. We are the dogs. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855.am dial and indeed podcast on the WWWs. Yes, we've been in America for a while talking about the really scary things going on over there. Um, but back in Australia, we're not immune to the trials and tribulations of defending public education by any means, are we, Jane? No. Well, uh, there is one uh, member of the Liberal Party, excellent member of the Liberal Party, who took himself off to America and came back believing that perhaps he could be a Mr Trump. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> could model, model himself upon the uh, current president. And... Um, I think that we should do what uh, the mainstream media have done to the dogs for years and not give up too much oxygen to these people. However, um, this gentleman is called Corey. And um, we at the dogs who have been around since the 50s might remember the 1954 split of the, Liberal Party, of the Labor Party when the Catholic groups within the Labor Party uh, were very restive. They wanted state aid and they actually split uh, into the DLP. I always found this very interesting because back in 1920, around about then, a man called Gordon Child, who later became a very famous uh, uh, ancient historian in Oxford, uh, had been in New South Wales as a ministerial advisor of sorts uh, to the Labor Premier and he had gone to Queensland as an academic. And while he was an academic, he wrote a very interesting book which I can recommend to understand Australian politics. He wrote a book called How Labor Governs. And in that book he pointed out that Australia was peculiar it had within the Labor Party a large contingent of people who had a religious belief system which was not in any way Labor or Socialist. In fact, it was anti-Socialist, it was extremely conservative and they were the Roman Catholics. And he prophesied, if you like, or he predicted that um, eventually they would cause 
a, a trouble within the, Liberal, the Labor Party and its values. Uh, and it was well known in those days, of course, that um, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church did have a lot of influence within the Labor Party. The Liberal Party was considered to be immune. They were mainly old Protestant uh, conservatives. But in 1954, the Labor Party split down here in Victoria and up in, in uh, Queensland, and you had the DLP. And in, 1960, in the 1960s, when uh, Mr Gough Whitlam actually managed to get the leadership of the Labor Party, he did it uh, on the understanding that he would introduce state aid and bring the DLP voters back to the Labor Party. The DLP never came back to the Labor Party. Uh, in Australia, the Jesuits were not highly thought of in Rome and Opus Dei came to Australia and Opus Dei had another idea. They were going to take over the Liberal Party. And so when Mr Abbott, who started off being a member of the DLP, became uh, the first Catholic Prime Minister of this country, 50% of his cabinet were also of this faith and were conservative Catholics in that tradition, in the conservative tradition. And now we have a gentleman by the name of Corey Bernardi who has just left the Liberal Party because he says they are not conservative in the traditional way. But the conservatism he is talking about is in fact Roman Catholic conservative conservatism. It is not the conservatism of somebody like Bob Memsies. It is not the old liberal tradition at all. And it is very interesting, I find, that um, he somehow feels that he has been betrayed, although others believe that he's betrayed them, on the basis of what his belief in, conservative, in conservatism really is. But um, to a uh, person who's been around for some time like me, I can't actually see the difference between his conservatism and that of the old DLP. So the Labor Party, and Robert has already spoken about this, the Labor Party should actually be very careful about thinking that people in Australia, and even conservatives in Australia, or certainly liberals in Australia, um, think that a private school should get state aid and continue to get state aid. When the dog started back in the 1969 in New South Wales, we had members of the Liberal Party amongst our membership who felt very, very strongly in the separation of church and state and who um, were prepared to fight for it. Well, our time is almost gone, but before we go, we would like to remind you that if you want to find out more about the dogs and what we've been up to and what we have done, even today, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. And if you go to the 3CR website, you can always listen to the podcasts. But for the moment, it is bye for now. Bye for now. Dream.
saw Joey last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on. Organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your Says he.